quick reminder that next weekend is a very big weekend for our friends out at Santa Anita. We're going to be having some special coverage, but there's also just a lot going on out there, including this weekend and next, the Santa Anita Spring Carnival. Going to be fun stuff on the infield, family activities, etc. This weekend as well, the Winner's Circle Barbecue Championships going on in the infield. We've got next weekend on the 8th, a mandatory jackpot, big pool expected, as well as lots of other fun stuff, santaanita.com slash events. One other thing I wanted to highlight for sure is the $1,500 Santa Anita Derby Challenge. You can play at Santa Anita or on Express Bet with that one. For lots more information, including the regular contest stuff, go to santaanita.com slash contest, and you can continue to catch Santa Anita live via santaanita.com slash live for that free live stream. Stay tuned for more Santa Anita content. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Friday, March 31st. We're talking about the races of Saturday, April 1st, April Fool's Day. Uh, I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker. Once again, thanks for joining us wherever you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. We'll reach out right away to our YouTube viewers and ask you who you think is going to win these two big Kentucky Derby prep races this weekend. We're going to kick off the show talking about those and also the Gulfstream Park Oaks. And to do that with us, we bring in two guests, the first of whom is joining us after a uh, a long absence, but it's great to have her back on these airwaves, and we'll be seeing her a bunch. She's in South Florida working for our friends at World Horse Racing. She is Naomi Tucker. Naomi, how are things? Very well, Pete. Yeah, it's been a bit, it's been a bit of a, an absence, but I'm glad to be uh, back on. We had some connectivity issues, so hence I've relocated to outside, and it's so nice and sunny here over <laughs> Florida, you know, hot, hot weather, so it's, it's possible to kind of sit wherever, so it's you, pretty you, different from where I was before. You sound good, you look good, and of course, viewers to the show, the regulars, they know, we, we, we know all about dodgy hotel Wi-Fi on the In The Money oh. airwaves. A man who does not seem to be plagued by, uh, by any uh, Wi-Fi issues at all, he's uh, riding high with his baseball team, uh, 1-0, on the season he's nick tamara or oh, they didn't win yesterday no they lost they lost three to two we were there too didn't help oh that's not good were yeah. they winning at some point why did i think they won maybe i'm just we were up one nothing late and gave up a game tying home run and then yeah but was it a good experience with the ballpark i mean it's a long season oh yeah it was great it was great little one loved it she was way more into the game than normal so that's awesome yeah. I had a funny conversation with Perrin this morning who has, who has vandalized my light board, by the way, as you can see, she has replaced the in the money players podcast ah. with, with one representing herself. But I, I told I her like I, we, we were going through different results and, you know, she, she's a Mets fan, Orioles second Padres third, she's told me. And so I told her the Orioles and Mets won, but the Padres lost. She said, daddy, does that mean they're out? I was like, no, it's a 161. Too much college there. basketball lately. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So she's getting into it, but still learning the ropes. But we are not here to talk about baseball, as much fun as that is. We're here to talk horse racing. And let's start in South Florida, Naomi, with uh, the first race we're doing. I should point out, Nick and I will also have um, an analysis of all the Gulfstream Park stakes uh, for, for, for uh, behind the paywall on In the Money Plus. And then Drew Coatney on In the Money Plus is going to be doing a full a full card write-up. So loads more on Gulfstream. But we want to get uh, the big three-year-old races taken care of here for you 
uh, the audience. And we'll start with the Gulfstream Park Oaks. Naomi, what are your thoughts on this one? So I thought this was actually a really interesting race. Kind of looked at it a few times, kind of trying to see where I wanted to go. I mean, it, it, it's similar. You can look at it from a betting point of view. You can see that the morning lines are pretty close together as well and that there's sort of a lot of ways to go. I ended up landing uh, on the number six anatomically. Of course, Todd Pletcher has two very good horses in here. This is going to be her second start as a three-year-old. The reason I liked her is because I feel like there is enough pace in here to kind of maybe slot in nicely behind them and, and then kind of get that trip that you want. I was watching back that forward gal run at Goshen Park. She kind of missed the start by a smidgen there, was on the back foot forward. I thought Jose pulled her out nicely, kind of really started to get her going, right? Get her rolling, get her trying felt like she just needed that extra distance. I think Pletcher on purpose put her in a seven furlong event to really set her up for something like this. Now, he knows what it takes to win this race. He's won it about four times, but not since 2014, though, which is interesting. So I am siding with one of the Pletchers. I think his other one looks very good as well, Miro Cole, who looks like she either is going to take the lead or kind of sit handily enough. Again, as I mentioned, the pace seems to be there for it. And she's been going up against some really, really good fillies. Pretty mischievous, Hosier filly, of course, pretty mischievous, currently leading the Kentucky Oaks points board. So clearly she's, she's kept the right company and held her own very well in it. I hear the case anatomically I had in the mix. And it's funny because I usually think of Todd Pletcher just bringing them back to the races uh, fully formed. But watching, I agree with everything you said, watching that run through just looked like one who might benefit from, from more ground, and I was tempted to try to keep on side. Perhaps I'm being a bit of a homer here, if folks know our uh, history with Black Tie Thoroughbreds, who've been sponsored with us since day one, and of course, uh, good friends with uh, Jake Ballas and, and Maddie Matt Miller. But I am really interested in the, their new acquisition, Sacred Wish, in this spot. as a big figure uh, from the Oaklawn race. And she shapes like one to me who is going to benefit from the added ground. Not easy going from six furlongs to eight and a half furlongs. But uh, I actually, I made her my top pick over atomically. And I also did want to keep Darth Vader in the mix. It may be a case of last time was the time for Darth Vader in the forward gal. But I thought she attended that fast pace, obviously drew off to win well and looks to have worked well since. So I was going to be a little spready, seven, eight, and six. Um, Naomi siding with the Pletcher runners six and five. Nick, how do you see this Gulfstream Park Oaks? Yeah, I mean, I think the winner when push comes to shove probably comes from that outside four. I picked Darth Vader. I know, you know, if you miss the wedding, don't go to the funeral. But it was uh, that was a pretty compelling performance, all things considered. They went quick early and she stayed on and she stayed on very nicely to draw off and win comfortably. Apparently is comeback training just as well as she was uh, prior to the Devona Dale. So I'm going to give her another shot to stretch out. I think the distance might be one of the factors, but uh, the mile and a 16th is a little, little quicker than the mile and an eighth at Gulfstream. So hopefully she can work her way into position. I have no argument with atomically at all. I felt similarly to Naomi that she probably needed her last. And uh, I think ultimately she wants to go long as well. So one of the two daughters of Gervin for me primarily, but I won't be beaten by, uh, by miracle. I think sacred wish is going to have to improve a lot. Um, but I also think that this is a great spot for her to try because there's not really anybody in here you'd fear all that much. It'll really just be a question of how quickly George Weaver can turn her around off that trainer. Let's move on to uh, the big one, the race that gives the day its name, the grade one for the Derby. 
up. What is the background noise there? I'm not sure if that's something that either of you have. I think that's you. me. If I. Oh, now you just, but now, or now you're muted, but all right, you can just put yourself back on when it's time to talk. Thank you, Naomi. Um, the big one, the Florida Derby. Uh, I'm wildly uncreative in here, so I'll just go first. I'm not concerned about the post in particular for Forte. I feel like um, this is his race to lose. I had him something like 10 points clear on ability figures. I could make a case, you know, if the track is playing a certain way, you know, maybe a runner like Mage who had the tough trip last time could improve, but I have this as 90% Forte and maybe 10% Mage type of a deal. Um, I really think it's 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 the Forte show for all the obvious reasons that don't really uh, need to be delineated. Just look down at the PPs. Nick will bring you in first to see, am I, am I being overly bullish when it comes to Forte or is the, are you expecting more of the Forte show in the Florida Derby? I think I'd be worried about the post if they said that he had to run attached to the outside rail. <laughs> Like that's probably the only way against these horses. I mean, he just, he towers over this field, Pete. This is, this almost looks like a fait accompli on paper, right? It, 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 it just doesn't look like there's really anybody in here that has a specific race that we can point to and say, okay, if they run that, then Forte could be in some trouble. You, you sort of alluded to the idea that maybe Mage clears and somehow all of these Safi Joseph horses don't show speed and he ends up getting loose and it becomes like a, a 2019 maximum security scenario. I mean, even saying all of that, I'm thinking to myself, that's not happening. So he's supposed to win. I think the uh, from a wagering perspective, what you're supposed to do is find the right combination of long shots to play underneath. And, um, you know, to me, I'll use horses like Jungfrau and uh, Mr. Ripple a little bit underneath because uh, I think that's the only way to bet the race from a vertical perspective. In terms of multis, it's just Forte. All right, I like the sound of that. Give me numbers if you have them on on the, the your underneath selections there. Nick. Yeah, I mean the horses I'll use primarily underneath are the one, two, and eight. One, two, and eight underneath a Forte who goes as number eleven. Naomi will bring you back in to your thoughts on the Florida Derby. Can we make it a chorus for Forte? I mean, it is kind of his face, isn't it? I feel like a broken record. You guys have already highlighted it. I just, I was just so impressed by his comeback race, the fountain of youth, just really uh, sitting behind the pack. Irad, super patient, knew the horse he had underneath him. And the moment he pulled him out around the outside, made that sweeping move, he just cleared away like the entire field wasn't even there. He's prepared by a master trainer and top pledger who's won this race about six times. To me, on paper, he shouldn't lose. So then I thought it was really interesting to start looking at, well, what horses do you use for the exotics underneath? Because, look, I, I'm not taking a stand against Forte. I want him to win. This horse is incredible. I, I, he schooled in the paddock. I saw the video. He looked really good. I saw him this morning. I went to go see him uh, at the barn. He was just very happy being rubbed down by his groom. It's just beautiful-looking in, individual, and it's really filled out as a three-year-old. Truly what you want to see from a juvenile champ going into his three-year-old year, really, that filling out, that maturity. Look, uh, he seems cool as a cucumber. So I, I'm siding with him completely. But then underneath, um, definitely had an interest in Mage for Gustavo Dogani Jr. Also went to go and see Mage. Um, he was having a blast in his stall, just chilling uh, as well. Very unexposed runner. Two starts, obviously very uh, impressive in his maiden special weight win. But that fountain of youth race, that to me is, is a lot of promise. A lot of things he had to overcome in that race. He bumped the gate, leaving, ends up sitting three wide, four wide almost even. Started to tire at the top of the lane, as you would expect, right? Went from seven furlong to mile 16. 
But he refused to give up. He ran a fourth, but he was still going. He didn't completely pack it in. That was his second start. That was against graded stakes winners. I think Mage is a very interesting individual. Gustavo Delgado Jr. did tell me this morning saying he is, you know, he has only had two starts. I think he's going to get better and better and better with the races. So will he be on top of his game enough in this field? I don't think enough to beat Forte, but I think the talent is there to run underneath. Now, the other one, uh, Nick already mentioned as well, Jungfrau for trainer Bill Mott. She looked at the pedigree there because obviously went long last time, completely had, you know, missed the kick, got stuck behind them, super keen, kind of a throwaway race. But you look kind of at his pedigree, of course, a homebred Judd Mont, female line, his granddam, special duty. She was the winner of the English and French thousand guineas. Now, by DQ, both, but like really small margins, really interesting. Um, but meaning that there, there is that stamina and it's a beautiful female line, as you were to expect from Jabmont. So I think Junfrau is really interesting being placed in here for a Hall of Fame trainer after, you know, a bit of a tough race in the winters. Uh, you have to you have to give Jungfrau a second look. I don't mind that idea for underneath at all and, and could see myself uh, messing around very much in that direction. And Naomi, appreciate those on the ground insights. Always cool to get somebody who's been able to see these beasts in the flesh. Let's move out to Arkansas for our uh, our final race of this segment of the show. Much more to come later on, diving deep into Aqueduct and Santa Anita. But while we have this team together, I want to talk about the Arkansas Derby. Um, Nick, we'll bring you in for this one. Uh, it felt like a race that's of particular interest in the way it's bringing together some of the intersecting form lines from the different uh, Triple Crown prep races we've seen so far. Where do you land and what do you think of this field in general? Yeah, I, I think it's a good evenly matched field, no doubt about it. I'd be willing to take a, a stand against the morning line favorite reincarnate, who I think is being built up based on some kind of questionable trip analyses from various people. Um, so I, I, I went with Rocket Ken. I, I like Rocket Ken coming over from Florida for Bill Mott. Obviously the connections here are uh, Arkansas based. So no surprise to see him land in the Arkansas Derby. I thought he ran very you know, well enough to back in the Holy Bull, came back and improved. You and I talked a little bit after the Holy Bull about how he was going to have to run better in his next start, and he did. And so I think he comes in the right way. I think he's got the right running style to be just a little bit off the pace. And he looks to me like a horse who's going to get better with more ground and more opportunities. So I like him in Angel of Empire primarily. Um, I, I think that Reincarnate is probably the other horse, so to speak. Um, there's not really anybody else in there that I'm – I'm terribly interested in red route one is going to get some attention, but that's just not my kind of horse. He's he's drops way, way, way too far back. I think the blinkers going on is sort of a desperation move to keep him closer, but um, I don't think there's enough pace in here to set up that kind of bid either. It's always hard when they add blinkers and you think they're going to show more speed, but with, with a closer, will it take the sting out of that finish and will runners like, um, red route one, I mean, certainly looking at any kind of pace map, red, red route one's going to be so far back. Reincarnate is, is, you know, interestingly on the pace map, fairly close, but I don't know. I, I just feel like, uh, I think you and I are of a similar view that that last run might've been, might've been a little bit, a little bit flattered. Um, well, he was running third, no matter what Pete, right? I mean, you know, so I've heard the, Oh, he had to take kickback and he was farther back and all these things. I mean, they flew in front of him and he got himself into position. He ran fine. He would have run third. Had he not gotten in trouble, he got in trouble. He still ran third. So you know, I don't know what would make somebody really dying to take five to two in this spot when he was nine to two last time against probably what was a weaker field top to bottom. 
I land with you on Rocket Can as my top pick in this spot. I think we'll get a good mid-pack sit and has shown the ability to, to show tactical speed and has shown the ability to finish. And I'm just interested to see how, you know, what kind of a measure of the, that those Florida form lines we're going to get stacking up with horses coming in from the other circuits. Naomi, how about you? When you look at this uh, Arkansas Derby, who's your idea of the winner? I was about to say Nick stole my thunder, but you landed on the same horse as me. So now we're all in unison yeah. on the Bill Mott trainee rocket cat. Yeah, he's my top pick. I had reincarnated in second because I'm just questioning him quite a bit actually uh, but didn't particularly like any of the others that much to put him ahead of him but yeah rocket can he was right there on the pace in that fountain of youth uh, i thought he just was running solid clicks there got sandwiched between foes you know really pinned his ears back really had to go for it i'd like to see that in a three-year-old I mean, clearly keeping the right company right uh, 40 in there and then ran against confidence game who won the rebel afterwards uh, i think rocket can just is Probably going to get the right kind of trip. Obviously, I have faith in Bill Mott. I was always saying that earlier about Jungfrau. I kind of trust his judgment of placing horses. I think Rocket Can has just found himself quite a nice field, like Nick said, evenly matched, it seems. So I don't necessarily want to go with a heavy favorite in here because, like I said, reincarnate. I just kind of, I, looking at that rebel, the doors got shut on him early, but by his own doing, though, he wasn't that quick. He wasn't quick at the gates. They just ran in front of, they just kind of went like that. And it was just because he didn't hold his own position. So I was just like, he should be more forwardly placed there because he has been in the past. But I just don't think he's a lock-in. I, I, yes, he's put some solid figures on paper. Sorry, I know you guys can hear the wind. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, I have him underneath in second because I don't like Red Route 1. Like Nick was saying, not my type of horse either. Gets way too far back. Needs a blistering pace. I don't think it's going to happen here. And indeed, how much are the blinkers going to put him forward? I just, I just put a, a few question marks there. So I am not going to use Red Route 1. Obviously, if he now rolls from behind or something, we, you guys can all blame this on me, but I'm, I'm not going with him. I like Angel of Empire. Um, looking at some of the horses he ran again, obviously, uh, Risen Star 2 Phils came back to Frank that form in the Jeff Ruby. Not the strongest of preps, though. So I ugh, Frank's it, but not wouldn't be like the top level for me. So I think Angel of Empire needs an honest pace set up. Not a quick pace, but an honest pace. I think that should be there. So I definitely think he'll be there and about, but I'm, I'm going to put my uh, my money on Rocket Can. All right, 786 for Naomi. We, we ended up being a chorus on uh, on both of those three-year-old races. And Naomi, I think if Bill Mott and Todd Fletcher have a good day, you'll have a good day. I think so too. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm pretty safe putting my eggs in, in the baskets with those two trainers, right? I mean, there's worse ways good. to fly. There's worse ways to fly. <laughs> All right, we've got worse. a lot. We got a lot more coming up on the show. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, this is it for YouTube, but go over wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the rest. Let us know who you think is going to win these big races down in the comments. Uh, Nick, I'll see you on the plus side. Naomi, we'll see you soon. Have a fantastic time in, uh, in Florida and enjoy your work for world horse racing. Thank you. I'm just glad to be here. The sun is shining. I mean, I was in upstate New York where it freezes during the day. So this is a welcome change. I'm very, very pleased with my location at the moment. Tell me about it. All right, guys. We'll talk soon. Next up on the show, a man who's been absolutely crushing it for us over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. He's been covering Southern California for a while, and he's a man who is very in tune with this circuit. Always love to hear his thoughts on these shows. And, of course, you could just read them over there if you don't get a chance to uh, hear us on here. I am speaking of Dean Kepler. Dean, what's going on? Pete, great to be back on again with you. I hope you've been betting all these horses you've been giving out, all these winners you've been giving out over on the website. Has it been a, a decent little run for you? 
Yeah, it's been nice. You know, uh, last week we had a 45 to one shot that was, you know, pick third, but uh, we wrote about him as an upset chance as a wire to wire. And that's exactly what he did. So um, that certainly spiced up the uh, pick five. And, uh, you know, for Southern California racing, sometimes, you know, uh, it gets critiqued for having smaller fields and it does at times, but it certainly hasn't stopped the uh, expansive multi-race exotics from paying. That's for sure. They, you know, yeah. they maybe some short fields, but they've been extremely competitive and you're getting some nice prices. It definitely has been a bit of a bounce back year for them. And we appreciate all the work you do covering. And we're here today to chat about the uh, late pick five on Saturday, which kicks off in race number five with this maiden special weight race um, going five and a half on the turf. What numbers will be on your tickets to get us kicked off here? Yeah, Pete, I don't have anything too creative in here. I wanted to try to use a first time starter, but there's nobody that really jumped off the page at me. Um, the five, perhaps, who's uh, been working a long time for Carla Gaines, has some really snappy drills, gets six, But, you know, her percentage uh, with uh, first-time starters on the grass is not really good. She's one for 35, 3%. So I'm going to put her in the third slot. I'm going to go with the two logical horses, the one six feet who uh, improves substantially when moved to the turf, went second-time blinkers last time, um, flashing some good speed, draws the rail again. I think uh, – that gelding is a must-use on the ticket. And the other horse that was in the same race with him, number six, Bill Byrne, Joe, John, and Nick, uh, who actually battled with the, the one for you know quite a while there. Also making his second start off the bench there. I think those are the two logical horses. I'll go one, six, five there. We are reading from the same playbook on this one. I pulled an interesting stat. I saw the same thing you did with Carla Gaines, but I wanted to take a look at what happens. Because I was looking through those specific runners in that sample. I'm like, none of them are ever get bet. And so I did a little poking around stats. Uh, well, I say stats, not stats anymore. With race lens and looking just at Carla Gaines' first-time starters that get bet. And, you know, there's not that many of them. But they they win at a much more normal, like, you know, not normal, better than normal, like 20% type rate. So I'm thinking... Between, you know, Vronsky being a little bit average first time, one of the tis uh, a good thing, siblings winning on debut, that this horse is backable despite that negative stat. So I actually went ahead and popped the five on top of the other two logicals, six feet and uh, Bill Byrne, Joe John Nick, that you already made the perfect cases for. So we're in uh, we're in lockstep here, just in a slightly different order. I'm going five one six to uh, represent my native Nassau County. To get things uh, to get things kicked off at, uh, at at Santa Anita, do you find that stat compelling with Carla Gaines, or do you feel like the overall number is still too bad to worry about how the ones who've been bet performed? You know, it's it's, it's certainly interesting, Pete. Like if you know if the five opens up, say at eight to five, um, you know, right off the bat, I'd certainly certainly pay attention and put her on the ticket there. Um, you know, I could, you know I like to see the first or second flash there and see if that colt gets you know some decent money. Let's move to race number six, $10,000 claimers in this spot going five and a half. I put the three midnight special on top who I thought would get a good forward sit and might be able to outfinish the other logical runner to the inside. That's number one, Cat Bernay, and I do want to use that one as well. Could be loose coming out of that mixed breed race at Los Al. If for some reason this thing heats up up front, I think it'll benefit the six box of chocolates. I will use that one as a backup as a potential best closer on the drop. I do think he has enough speed to stay in touch. 
so I'll hedge a little bit and go three, one as A's and the six as a B. How do you see race six? Yeah, Pete, I, you know, I used the, uh, the one on top here, you know, coming out of the race, uh, at Los Island and the lights there, uh, this five-year-old gelding has, you know, has run well in the afternoon programs as well. Gets Franco, who's had great success with this barn um, from limited starts. And, you know, he may be just tough to reel in from the rail. I also used the six box of chocolates who has never run this low of a claiming tag, I believe, yep. for Jonathan Wong. And then my third slot was Mighty Matt, who traditionally uh, doesn't get out of the gate very well, have, you know, very slow beginnings. But, you know, if you go back to his race four back, uh, 8,000 claiming N2X, uh, he just engulfed that field there at the five and a half furlong trip at Los Al. So he switches to the top right of here. The barn has been really hot. And if he gets a contested pace, uh, you know, Mighty Matt is one to throw in there. Well, probably would be a decent price, too. So I went one, six, eight. All right. Race number seven is a graded stake. We've got the grade two Royal Heroine, Phillies and Mares, four and up, going a mile on the turf. I went with Honey Jar on top, been in great form, and I thought might be able to clear these easily enough. Fits on figures, and these are connections that I like. And then the three closing remarks I thought had meaningful trouble that probably cost the race last time, and this is a weaker field than what she's been facing. I feel like you could make a case, though, for every single one of these. Where did you land? Yeah, Pete, this is you know a short field, but a very competitive field here. Um, if you do watch the replay on closing remarks, he really did have a, you know, a rough trip in there. Force a steady, banged around uh, along the rail there. I think he actually hit the rail. And then, you know, made somewhat of a miraculous comeback to to actually finish third in that race there. But, you know, I kind of think these horses seem to get overbet in this spot here. Probably everybody saw that trip. I think uh, closing remarks will be a lot shorter price than she deserves to be in here because it, it seems to be a very competitive field. Um I went with the one school dance uh, who comes out of that same race, that grade two Buena Vista race. I thought she ran pretty decent in there. She's going to be on my A ticket there. Uh, also, the unknown here is number six, Siasse, uh, who actually makes his first start in the U.S. for John Stadler. He seems to have run some def- decent races over in Ireland. Uh, seems to be working well. He's going to be on my ticket as well. So I went one six three here. Uh, I just think that maybe Honey Jar is stepping up in class here, and perhaps um, you know that will come back to to bite her here this afternoon, and she'll get run down late. It could be. It could be. We will find out on uh, Saturday early evening as far as the Royal Heroine goes. Race number eight. We're in the maiden claiming ranks once again. Twenty thousand dollar level. A mile on the dirt in this spot. Dean, who's your idea of the winner of this one? Yeah, I went to the four storming Chrome who has good speed, adds blinkers today, uh, gets a, an aggressive gate rider in Maldonado. Uh, I think he's going to go right to the top here. And I think he's going to be tough to reel in late if he's able to get out there and carve out some, some moderate fractions there. Um, nothing creative. You know, I'd like the two behind him at six to five morning line. Uh, the blinkers come off today. He's had several chances though. You know, he's 0 for 12. He comes off three consecutive runner up finishes at this level. His buyer figures certainly figure are best in here, but, you know, he may be tough to, to back at a short price. So I'm going to go, you know, 4-2, and perhaps as a bomb here at number three at 15-1. Didn't show much returning off an extended layoff last time, but he goes uh, second time blinkers here, which is one of my favorite angles, and I think he can improve off there, and he's certainly going to be a price. And, you know, you've seen often in these bottom-level maiden claiming uh, chaos does happen. And, you know, I wouldn't be, uh, you know, 
shy of you know not backing a horse that's you know a big price in here. So for me, it's four two three. Four, two, and three. I uh, was with you on the first two. Batukin I put on top, a horse that's clearly um, had his chances, but is in good form. And I do feel like has some extra excuses in the last few. And even though chances have been had, this is the weakest field he's faced. If he does not win this one, though, I will say this. I will be ready to sign the papers and be done with Batukin. The fourth storming chrome has the pace angle, adding blinkers and a possible alternative. And I kind of like your case on on the three as a, as, as a bit of a stranger oddball in, in a race where things could happen. So I, I will probably end up following you in there. But officially speaking, I'm two and four. Dean is four, two, and three, which leaves us one race to talk about. Our nightcap, where we head to the turf for the starter allowance, Phillies and Mares, three and up, going one mile, and a big full field signed on. How do you want to close this thing out, my friend? Yeah, this is a you know very competitive uh, turf route here. A lot of different directions to go. Um, I think whoever does go off favorite, you know, it's going to be a probably about five to two or three to one in here. I went to number eleven. An agent mistake was wheeled back on two weeks rest uh, for Team O'Neill. They come off a sharp second, uh, March eighteenth. Um, she's run well at today's mile trip, and I think uh, any normal you know second off the bench improvement will be tough in here. My second choice is a bit of a price. It's a good boo Jew, number five. Goes two sprints to the route today for Jeff Mullins while making that key third start off the form cycle. She's certainly bred to go to two turns. Uh, shows a solid five furlong work in sub 59 on March 25th. And um, I think she's one to lose on the ticket there. And then number my third selection in this race is number 10, Glenn Hall, who uh, finished third behind a repeat winner. Very scary at this level. Last start back in February. Uh, looks like it's going to get a live race flow in here. Looks to be some decent amount of pace to perhaps set up his late kick. So I'm going to go 11-5-10 in the nightcap, Pete. I was with you on that pace scenario, and it's setting up for Glenn Hall. I put that one on top. Has to work out a trip, but might be able to, given just how much speed is signed on. The last race I thought was really good. That wide run impressed me, and I like the switch to DeTori. <laughs> Yakteen having solid numbers in all the relevant categories. Your top pick was my second. That's 11, an agent mistake. Um, I felt like the last could just function really nicely as a prep for this. The post doesn't do any favors, but maybe we'll get compensated in the price. One that you didn't mention that I wanted to was the eight slam Diego. Who knows? Maybe this was an accidental hunch play for me. We were talking about the start of baseball season um, before we started the recording today, but with slam Diego, I really just liked the last run and looked to me like one who might be able to get a really good stock and pounce trip, you know, especially if the post tells on a runner like the 11 or the other closers, just like the 10 rather, or if the other closers just get too far back 11, uh, excuse me, 10, 11, and 8 for me. I like your uh, inclusion of the 5 as a long shot for people to mess around in exotics or maybe really shake things up when it comes to these late picks at Santa Anita on Saturday. We will, Dean, we will catch you on uh, the website, in inthemoneypodcast.com. Looking forward, hopefully, to having you involved in some of our Kentucky Derby coverage this year as well. It's a, You do a great job. It's always a pleasure. Uh, wonderful having you on the team. And uh, let's talk soon. Sounds good, Pete. Uh, good luck to everybody playing this weekend. Next up on the show, we have a very timely visit from a regular guest. He's here to talk about what's happening in terms of the JRA racing. We can bet on on Saturday night into Sunday morning. But of course, I've got to chat with him about uh, some general Japanese uh, international news. He is from Woodbine. 
Klaus Ebner. Klaus, what's going on? Hey, Pete. How you doing? Things are good, man. And uh, things are really good if you are a fan of uh, Japan and Japanese racing after yet another amazing international display we saw last weekend. I think we should start with Equinox real quick because this was just one of the more visually impressive efforts I've seen in a long time. How impressed were you with Equinox and what do you think is going to happen with him next? So after seeing his Arima Keenan last year and just kind of how he developed as a three-year-old, like he was very, you know, in the early classics from last year, he was very green, very, very green. And, you know, even Lemaire said so, just saying, listen, this horse has a ton of potential if he kind of, you know, matures into it. And much like his sire, Kitasan Black, he's certainly developing into a good one. You know, that I think the challenge that there always is with Japanese horses going abroad is is always that pace scenario or pace factor. So, you know, I, I think Christophe Lemaire alluded to it where, you know, he, he had a horse called Hearts Cry. I'm not sure. I'm sure you remember Hearts Cry. Of course. Yourself from, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, I think he won the uh, Dubai Shima Classic in 2005 or six, I believe. But anyways, did the same tactic. So it was almost a carbon copy of that effort from Hearts Cry. And he paid tribute to that Hearts Cry who passed away. Uh, last year, um, so really, it's uh, it was really a tour de force. Like he went to the front, and and yeah, that performance. I thought he had a, a, a stellar performance in him, but with looking at that field and who who's up against, I'm like, well, you know, I think he'll show his best stuff. But you know, it's going to be a tough tough race for him. And yeah, he just uh, <laughs> he showed me and everyone else around the world uh, who 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 the real, real equinox is, and uh, yeah, tour de force. The, the analogy I sometimes use when you see a horse who had showed talent but greenness and then they come and they do what he did. I, I think back to the Luke Skywalker arc in the original Star Wars movies where he goes from being sort of the, the, uh, the bumbling uh, farm kid with talent to the badass Jedi in the opening <laughs> scene of Return of the Jedi. I feel like that's what we saw from Equinox. This was, uh, this was a whole different, this was a whole different animal. What happens next for him? Um, I mean, is it a case of circle the arc and work backwards? Is there any shot of an Ascot tilt? What do you think they're going to do? So the connections have been very vocal in regards to this horse wanting fast ground. So, they're, you know, I think they've already said that the arc is probably not going to be on, on his schedule this year. Interesting. And you would assume, again, Europe's, as you know, Pete, is, is a little bit different. So I don't think that, you know, if, if they decided to go down the European route, yeah, I could look at Ascot, you know, some options there. But I, I just don't think so. It, it, my gut feeling is he goes back to Japan, you know, runs in the Takarazuka Kid in, in June. And then from there, gets a bit of a break, and then he's pointed towards. I'm actually thinking he actually goes Breeders' Cup turf. That's my wow. real, that's my gut feeling, and you know, uh, my self selfish opinion if that if, is that of of yes, I you know I, I want to see him in the flesh in the Breeders' Cup turf. So I think they're they're thinking that same path with him because they they do they did say already the connections that they wanted to show him off internationally. So you'd assume it could go you know Takarazuka Keenan after the break from the Dubai effort. And then from there, he gets a bit of a rest again and then is kind of, in my opinion, pointed towards possibly a, uh, you know, you could even have a, a North American campaign where he's like one or two starts in North America. Uh, and then with the main goal being the British Cup turf. And then from there, you would assume he would possibly go either back to Japan, 
uh, from there, or he may go the Hong Kong route in terms of the Hong Kong Vaz or another another event. Yeah, there. I mean, so, left-handed um, firm ground; yeah. those are targets that make a ton of sense in terms of Hong Kong and Breeders' Cup. And we've seen, you know, it's a much easier ship seemingly for the Japanese to get to California. So I love mm-hmm. the. I was thinking that might be on the dance card as an afterthought to the arc, but that's interesting. If they're not even going to circle the arc. Um, and they might, uh, you know, start thinking about the Breeders' Cup with more primacy. That's super exciting. I want to get to the Kentucky Derby this year, which looks like we could have multiple entrants from Japan. I suppose we should start with the uh, with the UAE Derby winner, Derma Sadagake. What did you think of this effort? It certainly came back fast on the clock. I had one figure estimate from uh, Rob Dove, one of the top 10 pro punters in the UK today, who said he got it as a 103 on the buyer scale, certainly would stamp him as a contender in that race. What do you think about this horse? Does the breeding, you know, you don't think mind that biscuits in a mile and a quarter, uh, but, but you know, what, how do you evaluate this horse's chances from this far out? I know in the past you've said as much as they're dominant internationally, um, these, you know, three-year-old races in the States at this time of year is a whole other ball game. But where do you stand on the Japanese contingent this year for a tilt at the run for the Roses? Uh, I, I'm not going to say no, Pete. I, I think that he, to your point, you know, I, I think the way the track was playing that day, it favored him. You know, if you take a, take a step back from his effort in, in, in the Saudi Saudi Derby, uh, wasn't that great in my opinion? Um, so, I don't know. I, I just think, in, in my opinion, I think he is is a contender, um, and obviously has you know every chance in the world as, as shown in that Dubai effort. I, you know, he, he had things his own his own way, but he put he put away a pretty you know pretty decent field of of horses in that race in the, in the UAE, UAE Derby. Connections are gung ho and trying him. To your point about you know the breeding, yeah, I I, I agree. There are some question marks there. Uh, in terms of his pedigree, but you know he does have some stamina on the on the back end, being out of you know a a, a daughter of Neo Universe who was a Derby winner himself in Japan, out of you know out of a Tony Bin mare who was again screams stamina. So this is the classic you know breeding of speed over stamina, if you will. And you know I, I again I he's proven he can get a mile and three sixteenths pretty easily. So I don't think the the distance will be an issue for him. I just again I'm just not sold on his running style being that. You know, conducive to, to being a, a derby winner. Uh, you know, we saw, I think last year, everyone's kind of saying, well, you know, last year with Crown Pride, he had issues. Well, you know, there was also that other horse in the UAE derby. It wasn't a Japanese horse, but it was also the, you know, the, the UAE-based horse that really destroyed the field by going hell-bent for leather on the lead. Everyone kind of, you know, towed along with him, including Crown Pride, who was probably pretty fresh that day. But he was working out like a, like a monster. I think we all saw that. So... You know, I know for a fact, and we can assume that, you know, based on the training methods and everything else that the Japanese trainers have, this horse will be ready to go on the first Saturday of May. The question will just still be how good, and I think it's just much like Crown Pride last year. He's going to surprise some people in the morning in terms of their workout routine and workout methods. It's, you know, for the most part, somewhat unorthodox to what we're seeing here in North America. But, you know, again, I think one benefit we also have, or they have, is the fact that Christoph Lemaire has a derby under his belt now, so <laughs> he understands what he's dealing with now, as opposed to last year, right. where I'm sure as soon as the gates open, he's just like, "What the hell is this?" Right. So, <laughs> um, so I think that's the big thing too, is that you know Christoph Lemaire riding him is great because he had that experience of Crown Pride last year with a kind of all the hubbub around the derby and what that means. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of bonuses or, or benefits to, to you know. The, the path he's been on. And I think we can all admit, you know, the, the Japanese 
continue to buy the, the, the best mares, the best sires for the most part in North America and ship them over to Japan to increase and, and improve the breeding program. And, you know, Dermo Sotogake is actually a, a prime example of that, of just crossing over, you know, the Japanese bloodlines with North American speed-based bloodlines. And you're having that, you know, this is a horse from, uh, I'm pretty sure he's part of uh, Mind Your Biscuit's first crop. So, Again, you never know, right? A, a son of Posse win the Derby. We'll, 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 we'll see what happens with that, Pete. It's interesting. How about the other Japanese runners who are reportedly uh, pointing to the Derby at this point? Do you do you hold any more enthusiasm for them, or what? What, what can you tell us about about them? Nothing's really standing out. You know, the, the the few that were kind of on my radar didn't run that well in Dubai. And I, yes, I understand they ran one, two, three, four in that race. But, you know, just the, the gap that there was between all of those horses. Um, Five and a half lengths back to... Uh, yeah. To, uh, um, they, they, you know, again, there may be a surprise horse that comes out of Japan. But, you know, in my opinion, anything that ran the UAE was probably the, 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 some of the better horses in Japan on the dirt that are on the derby trail. So I, I don't think there's going to be any surprises, especially this late, this late stage. And I haven't heard anything or seen anything in terms of my contacts in Japan saying, yeah... You know, there's a horse in the woodwork that's going to come out and, and run the Derby. I think you know you may see the top two finishers. You will for sure. You'll see Dermot Sotogake, but outside of that, I still haven't heard of any commitment uh, from any other of the connections from any other horses in the race. Gotcha. To say the other story will follow and chat about more. But for now, let's talk about what's going on Saturday night into Sunday morning. What's the big race? You know, people know at this point, but I'll reiterate that you can get past performances, picks, and analysis for the JRA over on in the money podcast.com from Klaus and the team, but get, give us a little bit of an overview from uh, 48 hours out. Sure. So this is one of the, you know, we're talking about older horses here and this is a, a key race this weekend. This is the Osaka high uh, from Hanshin. Uh, this is a great one event mile and a quarter over the turf. It's traditionally in the end. It's, it's been one of those strange races where the past couple of years, weather has played havoc with this race so we've seen a bit of a bog in the past couple of years. You know, coming into this race last year, Euphoria was really kind of the hype horse. Yep. He banged his head on the starting gate, didn't do much. So, you know, this year we, we also have a few four-year-olds. I'm surprised we didn't have as many four-year-olds returning in this race. But, you know, there are uh, four four-year-olds in this race kind of looking to develop in their sophomore year. And the big one there is Stars on Earth. So Stars on Earth being the Philly. So that's again, a Philly taking on the boys as, you know, it's a common occurrence in Europe as well as in Japan. Uh, it's not a very strange thing, but this is a Philly who won the first two legs of the triple tier in Japan, that being the Thousand Guineas and Japanese Oaks. Uh, her was last seen at Hanshin in the Shuka Show, which is the last jewel of the Chul Crown. Had a bit of a rough start and then finished third in that event to Stunning Rose. Does like Hanshin, uh, be, you know, one win from two starts there. And this is a you know this is a filly that will be on the improve. We'll get some weight because of the fact she is a four year old filly. Uh, so you know I, again, Christophe Lemaire stays on board her. I think she's probably one of the favorites in here. But I'm going to probably look elsewhere and that being another another mare in the form of Geraldina. So Geraldina, you know if you look at her kind of form cycle, she's raced against the boys. She's done well against the boys. Uh, last time out was third to guess who Equinox in the Arima Keenan at the end of the year last year. And it wasn't a bad third. It was a, you know, a very close third where she closed from the back of the pack. You know, she has a very good record at Hanshin with three wins from eight starts. So if anyone, that's probably who I'm looking for. And again, she's bred to the nines being by Maurice out of Gentle Donna, who Gentle Donna herself was a champion horse in Japan. So, you know, out of, out of the favorites, 
I'm probably leaning towards uh, Geraldina, if anything else. You know, again, there are a few other horses in here that are returning from various efforts uh, abroad. So you have horses in the form of Jack DeOr, who was a disappointing, in my opinion, disappointing seventh in the Hong Kong Cup. So he returns here as making his first start off the shelf. Um, and then, you know, if you're looking at, you know, I, I was like looking at some long shots. So one for me is, you know, speaking of those developing three-year-olds turn four-year-olds, and that's a horse in the form of Mateno, Matenro Leo. And this is a four-year-old Colt by Hearts Cry, another one who really loves racing at Hanshin. Uh, two wins from three starts there. Second last time out to Do Deuce. And that's a horse Pete, I was kind of upset not seeing run in Dubai. He came up lame that the uh, morning before the Dubai uh, Dubai turf. And uh, I thought he was going to make a, make a noise there that day. And that's one of my probably going to be one of my best bets on the car that day, Do Deuce. But unfortunately, he came up lame. And But this one here finished second uh, to Do Deuce in the last start before Dubai. And I was back in February in the Kyoto Keenan at Hanshin. So. Again, I, I just think it's a interesting field. You, you know, you have some horses who are kind of looking to bounce back and form. You know, some four-year-olds that are going to be on the improve and horses to watch for the year. So, again, it's, it's going to be one of those races for me, at least that sets the stage for the rest of the year, and we can kind of see where these horses go from there. Worth staying up late for, and again, you can get the coverage uh, much more fully fleshed out with picks and analysis over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. What time on Saturday do you typically post, class? Uh, we usually try to do it pretty early. So this weekend we'll probably have our, all of our selections up by about, uh, five or 6 PM Eastern. Right. So, you know, that's kind of the, at least the, the plan for now. And then, you know, the, the, the card itself will start around nine o'clock and then we'll have, uh, the actual race itself go at a, uh, nice and early time of two forty AM Eastern time. <laughs> Stay up late, get up early, whatever you need to do. And of course you can also just place your bets and watch the replay the next morning as I've been known to do. Class, yep. thank you for the update. Really appreciate you. We're going to be having more and more coverage of the JRA as the season unfolds. You will be a key piece of that as well as the rest of the team. It's always a pleasure talking to you and them. Yeah, thanks, Pete. And just so you know, the, I know we didn't, didn't talk about him that much, but the uh, the Byroll Cup winner, Ushba Tesoro, actually is aiming for the arc. So okay. that's an interesting one because, you know, obviously you're looking at him as a dirt horse, but uh, you know, his, his efforts in Japan were at least winning efforts in Japan on the turf were all over a boggy surface. So, you know, you saw on the weekend, he's really a plotter is really what he is. He just grinds away, but you know what, that of all the Japanese horses that may be the one to get it finally done as a dirt horse tr- transitioning back to dirt, uh, track to turf rather, and a horse who loves the bog. And guess what? He's by Orfev, who was cursed in the arc in both of his attempts. So that's right. That's right. Some, some, some tape worth watching there. If you don't know what we're talking about, And it'll be interesting to see just how big this Japanese contingent for the Breeders' Cup is going to be. That's a story we'll be following all year long because I think it's going to be – you'd have to think it's going to be a a, a major contingent that gets sent over for for the big one out at Santa Anita. Klaus, we'll talk about that and much more very soon. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Thanks, B. Take care. Our next segment is brought to you by our friends at Naira, and I'm going to take you through my thoughts on the pick six. Been working with Naira more than ever before. We actually have them linking out to our content over on their page under, uh, it's like picks and promotions or something like that. If you find the drop down and that'll take you to our page where we have Nick doing uh, Aqueduct Daily and also Robbie Fazone with his uh, spot picks. You heard him on these airwaves not too long ago. Also want to point out that if you're looking for a... Uh, a a list of where you can find the TV coverage of 
Naira. You can go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash TV, and we'll, we'll tell you where and when that coverage will be happening. You can uh, watch Maggie and Nikesha and JK, Andy Serling, uh, the whole terrific team covering Richie Migliori, everybody covering the races over there. Let's start off by looking at this pick six on Saturday. Things kick off in race number four, 247 Eastern, the post time for this uh, $32,000 claimer going a mile. I was going to kick things off with Al Cools, the one runner, who I thought looked like he could be the best speed in a race that didn't have much of it over his head last time, but now back at his level. And while the distance is a bit of a question mark at this point, maybe the slow pace or the expected slow pace anyway can help him get home. I will also use the morning line favorite number four simply in this spot, dropping in and just, you know, obvious figure and form claims for simply going to be pretty far back and have a lot to do. I'm not super interested if the price gets too short, but has enough in terms of uh, figures that I didn't want to leave out either and end this pick six before it started race number five we've got new york bread made in special weights going six and a half i was going to spread around a little bit in here i made number five blue plate special my top pick the sire uh, of blue pit plate special ken Tharos, known for uh, precocity i like the fact that this one attracts manny franco for an excellent first time out trainer in brad cox smart looking work tab definitely want to have some fives the four Pete and Billy ran okay on debut at Saratoga, chasing a loose winner that day, um, catching a little bit of money as well, returning to the races now with a steady work tab. The Toad and Paddock will offer more clues, but I'm going to be using somewhere. And this is another one of those cases where you can get a sense of how they're betting race five by looking at those double probables in race four and get a sense. If I get any hint that uh, Pete and Billy is live, I'll be, uh, I-, I might use a little bit more, but we'll be on the tickets in any case. And then the two, Freud, mine, strong pedigree here. Freud, very successful sire, obviously, but the damn side of the pedigree, very impressive with seven foals to race, all multiple winners. Interestingly, only one of the seven won first out, but that last work looks strong and I'm keeping on side. We'll get through race five or attempt to get through race five with the five, the four, and the two. That'll move us along to race number six. And this is a $14,000 claimer going six furlongs. The two-runner, Brunate, has had a couple of tough trips in a row. Didn't break great um, last time. uh, And getting an inside run in the slop. Two back, all kinds of issues. I think a clean getaway could be a key to Brunate doing a lot better. And then the eight, Fenway. Not a bad one for uh, baseball's opening week. This horse has a chance to be dead loose and could improve off the claim despite the seemingly negative drop. That gives you a worry, but I feel like less so in the modern game than it used to in years past. I'm going to use the two and the eight in race six, which moves us to race seven, an allowance race going seven furlongs. Timeform US says that a fast pace is not expected, but I couldn't side with the front runners. I went with the four life charger. This horse has had some maddening luck in terms of trips, moving wide the last time, on a day when I thought ground loss mattered and then spending time on the inside two and three back when that didn't seem to be any kind of an advantage. The one Kaz's beach, another to use ran a promising comeback or at good odds. This is a horse that I think could potentially move up second off the layoff race. Number eight is our feature. We've got the Excelsior stakes. Stan Lee represent. Um, and we got 125,000 in the pot going this mile and an eighth. 
law professor is a horse that typically has just done better in New York. So I'm willing to look past the uh, eight length defeat in the Razorback and say, this is a horse that could be the lone speed. And again, just does his best work around here. Let's talk about our nightcap race. Number nine, it's a maiden claimer, $20,000 level, six and a half on the dirt and a field of nine. We'll try to get home with the seven bold honor who looks like the best speed. This horse attended a fast pace on debut. And while he's not dropping per se, this is the same level. This is an easier field. I also like that outside draw or towards the outside draw for tactical reasons. Cancel can potentially take the bull by the horns or uh, sit just off anybody who decides they want to try to go hell bent for leather on the front end. The main threat to the seven, I think, is likely the stablemate, number two, Super Coach Fred. This one, first off the claim, um, ridden by Carmouche for the hot Atris Barn, another horse with speed. You know, that's the other thing is you don't figure these two as stablemates are going to duel out there. You figure one may be able to, to control it or the other, depending on what team tactics they choose to uh, apply in this spot. In any case, I think two and seven gets us home in this Aqueduct pick six, a bet that uh, we'll always enjoy playing. Also, when we talk Aqueduct, got to remind folks, you know, we're talking pick six here, but do not neglect the wind pool with it shutting out the computer money. A couple minutes to post, you see all kinds of inefficiencies in often in the uh, casual horse players favor without the late odds drops in the Naira wind pool. Always encourage folks to look at that. Take a look at their contest schedule too. Those $300 contests on Saturday happening regularly. Maybe you can be the one to uh, topple uh, Nick Tamaro's reign of terror. To learn more about that, go to Naira.com and check it out. Good stuff, folks. Appreciate uh, you hanging in there with me for this uh, for this show. We covered an awful lot of ground. want to thank everybody who appeared on the show today. I'm not even going to try to name them. That's how many we had. But it was a, a good cast of characters. We're going to thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, to look at our schedule. I feel like we're a rock band come Derby Week. We've got so many events and cool things happening, chances to hang out that – I'll give you it all in the coming weeks, but you can get a good sense of some of the stuff we have happening over at the trfinc.org slash players website. Most of all, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. Just a reminder to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on the YouTube channel as well. Or better yet, tell somebody else, tell the sports fans in your life who want to gear up for one of the fun gambling opportunities of the year to get involved um, with the Kentucky Derby and to help us let you let, uh, let us guide the way and, and help you along the way things go. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business managers, Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion, Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officers, Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos!